Welcome to StartupCTO.io, the podcast where Miles Mathias and Kevin Owaki interview engineering leaders about management, startups, and software, because your CS degree didn't teach you to lead. And now, StartupCTO.io. Hi, everyone. This is Miles Mathias. Welcome to Startup CTO. I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Owaki. Hi, everybody. And today we have a special guest in Gavor Kofsipian. How are you? Doing all right. Hi, everyone. Uh, Gavor has a lot of experience working with uh, large distributed teams, being a product owner all over the place, and being an agile coach as well. So we're excited to talk to him. Gavor, why don't you start by giving us a little more of a personal introduction and kind of your background? So yeah, as, as, as you said, like I have I have technical background. So uh, I used to be software engineer a long time ago, and uh, over the time I transitioned to more like technical product owner. I also co-founded my own company called Lion Sharp, and I was CTO and tech lead for the company, uh, doing a lot of like uh, technical leadership as well as like product ownership role. Uh, and then uh, after after uh, having uh, not very successful experience with startup uh, in, in in Europe. I moved to US and and joined the company Ericsson uh, as technical product owner. Again, dealing with a lot of like distributed teams, uh, agile environment, and now uh, I'm technical product owner for Eliza, which is uh, another startup. We are like 150, 200 people at this point, and you know I'm, I'm doing technical product ownership now. Wow, that's a big team. Uh, when did the company start? Company started actually 15 years ago as as a MIT project, to be honest. And they and they 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 were like uh, the co-founders of the company. They were coding the main platform for about like seven years, and 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 they during that time they didn't manage to have any sales or monetize any of that work and. Just about like seven, eight years ago, they started using their platform, which is voice recognition and and communication platform, uh, uh, IVR communication platform. They just started to monetize it in healthcare industry, providing healthcare communication. Uh, I know one of the things you, know, you have a lot of experience in, and we wanted to touch on was you know agile and Scrum. So, could you take us into some of maybe the mistakes or uh, things that you've seen startups, especially? You know, have trouble with or things that they should be doing. Uh, it's uh, that's an interesting question, actually. The for one thing that I would I would like to mention is 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 the fact that a lot of people understand agile as and and lean as as just methodology which come with a bunch of frameworks and techniques that helps companies to to be more efficient. And that that is that is true. But actually, the core of it is is really. Uh, the company values and when I'm actually running presentations or coaching sessions with other people I every single presentation I do I start with three things uh, on agile side I, I, I ask people to think about the values the values that the company or, or the team or, or, or founders have and uh, what kind of uh, principles that, that, that values drive because that, that is important because 
that those principles then drive behavior in the company, in the team. And that's where I'll say like a lot of people focus on Agile. They do Scrum training, they do XP or Kanban training, and they, they get the certifications. And in fact, I have three of those. And they think they, they understand it, but the reality is uh, people need to dig deep into values and understand why Agile as, as a methodology uh, and, and why the values of Agile fit into their organization or a team. So I've seen a lot of mistakes there uh, in, in startups as well as in big companies, to be honest. Got it. And, and so I'm curious because of your experience both in startups and in big companies, if you've seen different types of values in both organizations. I mean, they're both at sort of different levels of maturity. Uh yeah, uh, so if, if we'll start with the small companies, like uh, I, I can share my experience. Like when we started Lion Sharp, uh, we were all uh, around the, the the values of helping each other, supporting each other, and and acting like family members, really. Uh, which is uh, which that and that was all about supporting each other to become better, better, better professionals, better family members, like better, better community members, uh, members who give back constantly. And, and and our product and our, our, our company, our business, that was just something to support our, our main vision. And it's it was very actually easy to organize and build team around that because we were we were we, with my co-founders, we, we knew each other like for four plus years. And uh, that the, the initial stage was fairly easy. But when, when we expanded to to like fifteen people we realized we, we had actually fairly international team, Italian, Estonian, uh, you know, Russian in our team. So we realized that it's actually very hard to, to, to share the same values and same principles. And therefore, our behaviors in any, any different cases were different. And that was fairly challenging. And if you'll take that and, and try to apply that for a company like Ericsson, which has like 130,000 employees and multiple offices around the world, uh, it's 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 almost impossible. And what ends up happening in these big corporations, they end up thinking about revenue, like constant revenue. Let's say we're telco communication. This is our units. This is our departments. Each department is doing this or that, and this is the revenue, and this is the increase that we need to aim for. And what happened? Company employees they they join the company just to generate revenue and earn something and they're missing the point of, of being part of the big organization and sharing the same values so i i guess in, in the big companies uh they actually talk about values but they don't have any uh you know shared values around um, amongst all the teams and uh, offices they have and for small companies uh it's it's easier to achieve uh but uh, again, you you may I I had very difficult experience because I had like multiple team members from different uh, countries in the world and and sharing the same values is not an easy thing. So what what, what advice would you give to even small companies that don't have a distributed team? Uh, how to grow those values um, uh, I, and how to practice those values? I would I would actually advise them to start from hiring because like let's say you're looking for a great engineer you found one and if engineer is not sharing the same values and principles that you have or you 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 you, you try to to share and, and and proceed with your company I would advise them to to look for others because especially in at, at the beginning uh it's it's really cl- critical to have right people on board because 
when, when, when you hit to some stage where you want to expand your company, those people will lead your company. They'll become VPs of your company. They'll become, you know, chief executives of your company. So starting from hiring, I think small companies need to focus on values first, try to understand why that person wants to join your company, um, what's the real reason of that, and if they'll share the same values, you gen- then you go into more like technical discussion about classes and methods and principles of coding and everything else, you know. Uh, that's interesting. You, you recommend starting with culture first when, when hiring. Yes, yes. That's, that's, that's actually... I... I I hired people uh, as part of my company, as part of Ericsson, as part of Eliza, uh, as part of APG Labs. Uh, I let people go as well. And the one of the main reasons that I can think of at this point why I let people go was culture, really. Like if you if 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 you dig deep, the main reason was okay, they were not performing, they were not doing this or that, this or that, but the reason why they were not doing, I think, because they were not sharing the same vision, the same culture, values and principles, therefore they didn't have the same behavior about this or that things, and that misunderstanding, uh, right. miscommunication or not sharing the same values led to point where you need to let people go, and I, I, I really believe that uh, culture and values are, are, are first thing and then everything. Are there specific questions or tactics that you can use in an interview that you've seen help kind of communicate and identify values? Yeah, I mean, I uh, like normally at the, the, the first meeting, uh, I would take people out, you know, we would hang out, no, no technical questions, nothing to do with, uh, you know, company, company vision and business values and how we're trying to expand or what we're trying to do. I would take people to, to like offsite somewhere and we would talk about, you know, what, what that person wants to achieve and why that person thinks that this company can help uh, him or her to achieve that. You know, what, what is, what is, what is that person's goal in, in life? in first year, in third year, in fifth year, and, and why that person thinks that this community or this company can help uh, him or her to achieve that goal. And uh, also conversations around just, just in, in like different type of use cases, like what you would do if this is, the, this is the case, that is the case, like, but not work related, more like real life. Because uh, when you have or try to have open conversation with person, it's very, uh, it's not very hard to identify what people, what person really thinks about uh, this or that uh, situation and what will be that person's behavior in that situation. And, and, and that, that helps you to see if that, that will work for you. Now, I understand that having one conversation with one person, uh, it's not enough really to, to understand uh, all. Uh, but... Um, Unfortunately, sometimes it's very hard to have like four meetings doing the same thing, but at least that first step needs to be done. Got it. And then I had a follow. I, I think that that's a really, really good answer. I have a follow on question, and that's that, um, you know, understanding where someone, whether or not a potential hire is going to be a good part of your culture is hard in its own right, um, in that you have to learn so much about them and what their values are. But it can be even harder when you're working across so many different countries. I think but when we were pre-gaming for this, 
uh, podcast episode, you said that you worked with people in India and in Ukraine and in Armenia. How do you take into account the cultural differences that can happen with working in a completely di- distributed team when trying to figure out a potential hire's values? That's where it gets a little bit more complex, <laughs> to be honest. The, the reason why is right. when, when, when you are with, with, with person, when you talk about this, this kind of things, you see the body language, you see the behavior, you see the answers, you can, can see the person's eyes and, and, and like try to dig deep into, into what person really thinks by asking uh, different questions from different corners. When you have like distributed teams or when you're trying to hire, uh, I can share my experience when I was trying to hire a software engineer in Estonia. Uh, like really like introverted person, uh, communication skills were really like close to zero. And uh, I scheduled Skype with him and I was trying to, to see if this guy will fit our, our company culture. And trust me, like after two and a half, two and a half hour of conversation, I couldn't figure out a single thing about like that, that person in terms of like culture, behavior or different principles. Uh, and what ends up happening for that particular case, we end up calling him, uh, we, we end up like buying ticket for him to fly into our office so we can really talk to that person. Uh, and that was that was for, for my company, which was small and every person was key. Now, if we'll talk about the same thing for company like Ericsson or Eliza, uh, when you have, you know, 150 people in the office and you have another 100 people working uh, like somewhere else in, in let's say in India uh, the challenge there is it becomes more like business led decision than you know uh, you, you like how, how, how you decide to to outsource the work right I mean in my case I can like you, you come to the point where you realize you don't have enough engineers in house and you realize that expanding for example, in U.S. will be very costly, so you start thinking about outsourcing companies, and your main priority there is to deliver the project. Therefore, a lot of companies spend very little time to try to identify if the, the company that in India or the developers in India will share the same value. They're all good as long as they can deliver the project. And uh, and I've been fighting that, that, that behavior, that principles in the companies I worked for, uh, and with Eliza as well, and I, I, I was const- and I'm constantly fighting, saying that we need to really fly there. We need to understand if these guys care about what we do, and they will deliver what we they promise to deliver for the right reason, not just because to to get paid. Um, but unfortunately, these big companies won't support that. And what ends up happening, I I I hold conversation like scarp conversation with all team members there. Uh, I try to 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 be online like every single day for them, and at least have one com- Skype conversation video turned on, so we can see each other. We can at least you know try to see each other's body language, you know, when we talk, and 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 and, and that way, um, I would try to uh, you know understand that person and the behavior, and 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 you know have the same conversation as as I would have one on one. Uh, but again, sometimes it's 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 very challenging. Yeah, I agree. Um, Are there any pieces of advice when you know someone has hired outsourced uh, an outsourced team that doesn't share your values, and you still have to work with them? Uh, yeah, I'm, I I have I, I have that example. I'm going through that example right now, and 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 I'm working with. Uh, uh, 
company they, they they're in US they they need to deliver some some piece of piece of software for for Eliza and they're right down in Florida which is even the same time zone but we're having hard time on a single things so i can I, like s- simple example is like when when you have a feeling that these guys don't care and you don't know what 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 to do with it you don't don't understand why they behave that way and for for my case actually what ends ends up happening i requested the flight ticket to florida so i can go and meet these people and it talk about their their behavior and why they behave a certain way what is what is what what I mean, what, what's, what's the elephant in the room? Like, why why they're behaving that way? And I actually got approval, but that's that's the best way that I would advise others to do. Just, you know, don't right. don't try to save uh, uh, on on flight because on the long run that will cost more money and delays uh, uh, than to just fly there and try to understand why they behave that that way and maybe work with them a couple of days or weeks or months if there is a need for that too set up the right mindset and environment for uh, project delivery. Right. It's so funny that you that you talked about that feeling of just wor- being worried that an engineer doesn't give AF. Like <laughs> I think I I think I there's been dozens of times where I'm like I just don't understand what's going on like why this engineer isn't focused on the product or focused on the user or actually delivering and I think that almost every time that I've actually sort of sat down and had a heart-to-heart with someone, uh, something good and actionable comes out of that conversation that allows us to move forward in a productive way. And sometimes what surfaces is something that you can't move forward with and you have to be comfortable exiting that person as gracefully as possible if that happens. And and even in that case, like if, 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 if things won't work out, I mean, it's also very important to to let people go with the positive note and and and, and talk about the the problems like openly and and talk about the that that behavior and 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 agree that it it won't work for you for your development and won't won't work for me for my company and my development. So therefore, maybe we should we should you know do do different things and we should stop working together because. Uh, again, communi- communication here in, in this case is the key, and, and and really talking about behavior and 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 certain things about how they deliver or think about the project is is very important. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, communication is kind of the key to everything, and uh, one of the things I see a lot with developers is is not understanding how people could read more into the statements. You know, just developers. We're just naturally so literal, especially when it comes to writing code. You know, like we we say what we mean and we mean what we say, and and if you know you communicate in a certain way, and someone reads into that or makes assumptions based off of that or something, it'd be hard to understand that. And uh, yeah, I think flying down there and just having a face to face to discover those hidden assumptions are like so crucial. So I think that's awesome advice. So I want to ask you a little bit about your experience building your own startups. You were a co-founder and CTO at Lion Sharp for, for a little while. Could you tell us just about that struggle and sort of how you went from idea to MVP and, and beyond? So uh, how did I start at that, 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 that company? How, how did I join that uh, journey? That's, that's actually, uh, 
interesting because uh, a lot of people start a company to 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 to, to necessarily like, to change the world or or you know to to make millions or to do something that they care about and why I joined the company may 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 sound a little bit funny but Nigel uh my friend he he had decided to we were working at Tumo Center for Creative Technology both he was leading the IT department and I was dealing with building system building systems like security systems and and phone irrigation and other things and he decided to 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 quit and uh, build his own things he's 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 really good engineer but he doesn't have any hands-on skills uh, in terms of like coding and development and he came to me and, and and he asked for help he said can you help me to to build at least the initial mvp of this so i can raise some funding so i can i can help my family to to uh, uh, kind of survive through this as well as build some some company and i i, I said sure like you know I, i'll help you out so i I joined and we we had multiple conversations about this and that ideas we have we had actually thousand ideas at the time and I end up basically developing an MVP uh, for him at his startup and 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 during that process I basically decided to to quit because I realized how much work is that to help to build an MVP and I I joined this journey really just to support him to achieve what he want to achieve and over time I, i i i was so much into that startup thing i was like okay now i'm like <laughs> really into this uh, and what, what what ends up happening is i started to to share that with others who wanted to join us i i started to share that story saying that i joined this company not because i wanted to get rich or not because i wanted to change the world but i just wanted to help nigel to do what he wants to do and that's that's how i end up being in 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 startup really and and because i was the only one who could actually hands on code i end up uh coding the main platform and then whenever we hired other people uh guess what i was the only one who knew what's going on with the platform so they said can you train others so i end up taking that responsibility as well uh and i was i was really young that time i was like 21 and i was like coaching people or training people to code on gesture and voice control systems it was really challenging for me because i didn't know much about those myself uh so that's uh and and i become like tech lead and then in some point when we raise some funding people ask like who oh, so who is your cto it's like oh good question like who is our cto and because i knew the most about the platform and the code and the product like go oh, you are now the cto i'm like nice now i'm the cto uh how did that happen <laughs> so that's how right. i ended up being a cto in the company and 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 leading you know team of like 10 15 people and i was like still like you know 21 22 and some of my 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 folks were like way more experienced than i was Mhm. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that you guys were just sort of like in a superposition of not having titles until someone asked what your titles were and then uh that's how you that's how you became the CTO. We've had other guests sort of describe a similar experience. Once you were assigned that label, were there any sort of new responsibilities that came to you or sort of like new skills that you invested in developing. I think one challenge that you noted was managing people who were older than you, which I know can be a a, a tricky thing that you have to do. Yeah, I I uh, I I do that 
I do that every day, and it's actually really challenging. Like even now in my team, I have I have a software engineer who has forty year experience in software engineering, and I'm like, uh, which is which is almost twice my age. Uh, this is uh, that is actually challenging. And when when I got that title, I I didn't realize at the time that like you know my my life would change. But what what happens like when you go to uh, like simple things when you go to simple event and you 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 give your card and they see like CEO of tech company they're like they treat you differently uh that's 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 that was like one of the interesting things but the the biggest challenge that I actually faced when I got the title was the fact that I realized that now I need to deal with uh, board members I need to deal with investors so my role as CTO is not really a technical role yeah you do like technical work like 25 30% of your time leading uh, your techies and helping them to understand what needs to be done and how it should be done but 70% of your time you think about like business plan you think about like strategy you think about like you pitching for for investment you you talk to your board members company advisors you build advisory board i mean I realized that actually the title is all about management than the actual hands-on work. And I realized that I need to grow up now because I'm not a software engineer anymore and I need to have a lot of soft skills to manage uh, up, manage board, manage investors, pitch, answer some questions. And that was actually really challenging. Right. So any pro tips around managing a board and managing a, a CEO when you're working at breakneck speed at a startup? Uh, the one one thing that I struggled a lot, and uh, I'm sure others do as well, is like whenever you're in front of uh, like CEO, not not that much, right? Because with my CEO uh, Nigel is my friend, and and we were talking about what we want to do in all directions. But when you are in front of like. Uh, let's say investors or board and you are pitching this or that direction uh, for your company sometimes uh, I, I, I was sometimes I was trying to just answer the question right versus what I really feel and what I really know and part of the challenge was that I was so young I, I, I wanted to answer the questions right and not hurt the company but my, my advice uh, and I know I, I've talked to a lot of people and they experience the same and 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 you know my my advice there would be like you know uh, no matter how much money you raise no matter what kind of board you have it's 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 your company it's 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 your vision it's your future and and and, and you're going to say them what you're going to do what you want to do and just do it and just sell the value of 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 your vision and your work so they can uh, join you not you join them to make more money but them join you to do what you want to do so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your experience working with uh, distributed teams across a lot of different countries. Uh, what all, uh, you mentioned a few of the countries, but where have you worked with teams in the world? Uh, in Ukraine, in India, and uh, in different states in the U.S., and obviously in Armenia. Awesome. Uh, and were all those kind of like outsourced or were they like full-time employees that you brought on as a distributed team, like full-time or how did that work? So in India, as, as, as part of, so as part of Ericsson, I had one team in Ukraine and they was part, they were part of Ericsson, they were Ericsson employees, they just 
Uh, they were my team building billing platform for me. And in India, I had like a company and we, would, we, we were outsourcing actually our work to them. Uh, so when you made those outsourcing decisions, uh, I, I guess, well, one question about outsourcing versus full-time is how do you, do you decide to do one or the other? Was that your decision or was it like kind of the CEO's or how did that work? Uh, well, my was that was not my decision, so uh, I, I gave my input, but my uh, my priorities were for for the people who were joining the company full time. I was more thinking about long term, like how how this relationship will benefit for for the company. Like uh, what what can I work with these people for like three, five, ten years? Can these people contribute back to a company and 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 bring value uh, to a company in a long, long, long run? Uh, and when you when you hire like outsourcing company like the the way we did like we hired outsourcing company for like a small project let's say like six month project or a year project with the aim to to kind of expand our relationship and work on more projects but when your focus is like one six month project you uh, you really can't prior you cannot prioritize like the the their their culture the way they work you're gonna prioritize like can these guys deliver the project what's gonna be the quality of the project uh, will they be on time on budget uh, what is their track record like their their history like these are the type of things you look at at, at least I looked at and and when you hire for full time I just try to understand why these people join the company, what is going to be our long-run game, uh, will they stick with the company, will they generate the value, because you invest a lot of time in full-time employees. You invest in training, you invest in like explaining how the systems work, uh, and those type of projects you want people to to agree with you and to, to be on the same page with you in terms of like the direction, the principles, the behavior in this or that situation. So those 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 were and are my my main uh, you know priorities when I hire a team for full time or when I hire a team for just short project to outsource the work. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. How do you go about managing a remote team? I mean, are there certain uh, you know daily stand-ups, meetings, uh, you know? tools that you use? I mean, kind of what's your approach to that? So, uh, as, as, as you know, like managing like remote teams is very, very challenging and communication, uh, which is really key of any, any methodology or management framework is very hard to organize. Uh, like with my teams, uh, uh, in, in, in India and in Ukraine, I used a system called rally to, to track the backlog, uh, uh, with uh, with my teams in Armenia, I use the system called Jira. Those are those are the uh, agile tools to track the backlog and track the progress. That helped us a lot, and we used a lot the chat uh, in the system to to communicate. But in terms of like the the, the stand ups and the planning meetings, like uh, for me, it's very important to have uh, have those and have those with video turned on and have like stand-ups like video turned on everyone is in there it doesn't matter that it's like 
you know, 1 a.m. in India, people people need to uh, be awake and, and join the stand-up because that with remote teams, those are very few uh, communication points and, and, and missing them uh, will, will really uh, may end up being costing a lot of money to to the company so every 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 day with every single team that i work with we have stand up like 15 minutes uh doesn't matter where these people are they all join the the uh online conference and i use go to meeting for that uh they all update their their backlog their 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 sprint item in rally or jira system uh they always put their comments in the ticket uh and that's that's part of acceptance criteria, really. Uh, and uh, sometimes I also request end of the day for some uh, some teams. For I had some challenge with Indian team. Now I request uh, them like to send me an update end of the day. What what was uh, done? What will be done? And what what was the challenge? Any dependencies? Anything that uh, you know US team can help them. My next question is, so we talked a little bit about the processes that you use in order to manage your remote team, but in earlier in the episode, we talked about uh, building culture and how, how important culture is and values are when you're hiring. But I'm curious um, to take that conversation and to bring it a little bit more in focus with respect to managing a remote team. Is there anything that you do uh, specifically to keep morale high on your remote uh, on your distributed team or to uh, just to make sure that the team is getting along well socially? Like, what do you do culture-wise uh, for remote working? Uh, so I have, with my uh, with my Indian team, I have a cake day. That's uh, every every Friday morning. Uh, that's that's really became part of company culture. Like, every Friday morning, I, I they, they get the cake. I send the cake from here to keep that 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 positive energy in between like teams in US and and uh, um, India we also have calendar where we have all the holidays in US and in India and they have the same so we try to celebrate each other's uh, you know holidays or celebrations uh, obviously uh, we they have uh, one example I can bring uh, they have this uh, what what they call when when they they have different color powders and they throw this in the air and they all get like colorful. I don't know what they call the the, the holiday they have in India. We we do the same in 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 US office. So we set up the uh, online call with video call, you know, and 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 we have all these different color powders on our hand. They have on their hand. We are you talking about holly? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we do we do the same like uh, we, we set up the video call we have all these color colorful powders and we'd like uh, you know throw it in the air we, we get all colorful and and, and these, these are the little things that you organize and and try to make sure that people in India or people in Ukraine feel part of the team in US and and vice versa huh good answer uh, miles any other thoughts before we move to final questions no, I think that's a great answer and uh, excited to hear the final questions. Cool. Alrighty. Uh, first one, do you have any favorite engineering war stories, things gone wrong and how your team reacted? Yeah. So uh, the one, one thing I wanted to share with you guys. So when, when we were doing Lionsharp, uh, 
we my my CEO uh, got he 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 basically uh, got got an invite to join a TEDx Yerevan and be one of the speakers. So as you know, TEDx is like uh, it's a huge thing. Uh, at least for for Armenia, it is a huge thing. So. Uh, he decided to present with the tool that we develop, and uh, I didn't talk about that, but the tool we developed called VoiceBoard, which was like gesture and voice control presentation tool. Like, really cool technology, but as you know, gesture and voice control, it's, it's sometimes it, 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 the, the system was not behaving sometimes as we expect the system to behave. And when he decided to present with VoiceBoard, we were like, oh, so you're going to be on TEDx stage. You're going to present with VoiceBoard, which is gesture and voice control. So every second this technology may fail, which is very, very risky thing to do. And what ended up happening during the day, he, he, he walked on the stage, basically, and I, I was backstage. I needed to run the software. I needed to, to prepare the presentation. I launched the software. I got the exception. And he's on the stage. And I'm like, okay, now this is going going yeah. to be very intense. So basically, he, he, he was on the stage. He was like talking to audience for five minutes while I was trying to figure out what the hell is going on with the software, what was the exception. Uh, and that day, we, we, we used different laptop for, for that presentation. So what had ended up happening, we removed desktop to uh, one of our development machines in the office. And, and as you know, code always works in development machines. Uh, and we we basically run the software from the uh, Visual Studio with that presentation using remote desktop, so he can present. And that was like that was actually very very uh, intense experience. You know, it took like the the whole whole thing took like fifteen twenty minutes, but I felt like you know that there was like a year of of struggle really that take that took that much energy. Wow, that is a. Uh, we get a lot of stories about websites going down and people reacting to that, but this is the first one about a presentation at something as massive as TED. I know that when I did TechStars Demo Day, what we actually did was we recorded a video of using our product and then we just played that as if we were doing it live on stage. Because I just work under the impression that anything that can go wrong when you're live will will go wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yep. Oh, man. That's Miles, a good one. Miles, you want to take uh, the final, final question? Yeah. So what are your engineering values? So uh, when I joined my, my, my university to do an engineering degree, uh, I promised my parents that I'm not going to work on anything which will hurt people. I'm not going to work on, like, weapons. I'm not going to work even on medical devices or medicine because uh, I, I, I really believe that, that industry is very corrupted and not fair to people. So I basically said that whatever, whatever product or platform I will work on, I'll code or contribute my time, that will help people to become better versus just, you know, hurting people, you know, yeah, you can generate money, but you will hurt people. A great, great example is when I moved to US, I got a lot of uh, offers from from like pharmaceutical companies, like biochemical companies doing things that I don't understand a lot. And I, I, I couldn't really say that this is something that will hurt people or will help, help people. And I end up joining ELISA, which is platform to 
help people to know about their health uh, state, you know? Uh, do they need to go visit doctor or do, do they need to take any action about their health, just communicate the health, uh, which will help people to have better quality life. And that's 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 my, my core value in engineering. I will work on products, platforms, or which will help people to become better, but not definitely hurt. Anything weapon, anything that can hurt people, it's not about me. I don't work on this kind of platforms and products. Uh, well, any uh, last great tips or advice or anything that you want to wrap up with? Yep, life is short. Just keep doing what you like. To do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a great piece of advice. Well, thank you so much, Greyberg, for being on the show. It was great having you. Thank you very much. You. Thanks for listening. Find us at startupcto.io or on Twitter at startupctoio. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode. Thank you.